This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 847 with returning guest Maria Ross. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 847. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Maria Ross is a speaker, leadership trainer, author, and empathy advocate who believes cash flow, creativity, and compassion are not mutually exclusive. She's spent decades helping forward-thinking leaders and teams connect and engage through empathy to accelerate growth and impact. Maria has authored multiple books, including her most recent book, The Empathy Edge, and hosts The Empathy Edge podcast. Maria understands the power of empathy on a personal level. In 2008, shortly after launching her business, she suffered a near-fatal ruptured brain aneurysm that inspired her memoir, Rebooting My Brain. Her next book, The Empathy Dilemma, How Successful Leaders Balance Performance, People, and Personal Boundaries, is due out in the fall of 2024, and she'll be back on the show talking about that in just a few months, so, so stay tuned. 
Maria has been on the show before. She was one of my very first interviews. So if you want something fun, go back and listen to me in one of my very first interviews. <laughs> Years ago, it would have been 2016 when we did that interview. So I'm so thrilled to have her back. Maria has a ton of media training. So she's an expert being interviewed, whether it was now or many years ago. Maria has appeared in prominent media outlets such as MSNBC, NPR, Forbes, ABC News, Entrepreneur, and Thrive Global. She's spoken at companies and conferences ranging from TEDx to the 3% Conference. Her writing has appeared in Entrepreneur.com, Newsweek, and The Huffington Post. She lives in Pacifica, California with her husband, her young son, she and I have to share stories sometimes about our sons who are similar in age. Hers is just a little bit behind mine, so I have to give her warnings. And her rescue mutt. And she speaks worldwide. This conversation is fun. I love catching up with Maria any chance that I can. And we dig into everything around empathy today. So this is like part one of the conversation we'll be having again later this year when we're talking about Maria's upcoming book, which will be coming out at the time of the next conversation, The Empathy Dilemma. Right now we're talking about how she shifted her work since she last was on the show. So shifting her work from a brand strategist to empathy expert, how motherhood pushed her into really digging into bringing her empathy work into the workplace, the different examples of what empathy can look like in the workplace and what the absence of it looks like, how empathy in the workplace must be a combination of compassion and action, myths around empathy, the significance of action behind your empathy and how action can look different for different people. We don't have to all express empathy the same way and we don't have to judge people for how they express empathy if it's different than us. Then she shares how we can and why we should use empathy in the overlap of our personal and professional lives and what to do in an interaction with someone who is not being empathetic, maybe is not capable of empathy, being empathetic. There's lots of good stuff in here, lots of juicy conversations. I know you're going to learn a few things, take some notes. So with all of that, please join me in welcoming Maria Ross to the Shameless Mom Academy. Maria, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me back. This will be a ton of fun. You were like I want to say you were like my second guest or something. You were like way back when, like oh, way back in the first, probably the first 12 episodes, I think we're all solo, but like you were in yeah. the first couple months for sure. With for sure. So, yeah. So I was like real rusty. I did not know what I was doing. So this is going to be like a very professional interview. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cause you know, I'm such a professional podcaster right, as well, right, but yeah, totally. no, I love and it. And also we, between the two of us, we're really good at getting sidetracked and having a lot of bright ideas of things we should also dig into and touch on and having a tangent. So it's going to be fun for listeners because you just don't know where we're going to go with this. No, no. We do have an outline. So we will try to stick with <laughs> We're like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Like we're just going to he- totally. be here to entertain people while they listen totally. to us. Yeah, totally. So you have a book now that's been out for a while, The Empathy mm-hmm. Edge. And then you have, did I say that right? Because I'm just going from what I remember. Yes, you Edge. did. Yes. I'm like scrolling mm-hmm. through my notes frantically. Is that the right name? Yes, that is the right name. And then you have another book coming out in the fall mm-hmm. and you're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. We're not quite to promotion time for that. But in the meantime, I wanted to dig into your work with empathy because it's a really hot buzzword, but it's also really, really significant. And obviously with parenting, it's really significant. So I want to dig into all of that. So we usually ask people kind of where they're at personally and professionally, but I would love mm-hmm. to know where your empathy work stands right now, um, as you yeah. kind of give us a little update in terms of where you're at professionally, then we'll get down and dirty with all the other stuff. I love it. I love it. So as you know, when we met, I was actually purely a brand strategist. I started yes. my own business in 2008 after a successful marketing career. And 
did a lot of work helping companies and solopreneurs, a lot of coaches, consultants, people like that, build their brand story so that they can better connect and engage with the right people who matter. And my drum that I've always beat about marketing is that marketing is not about lying to people. It's about elevating the truth of your story so that the people who need what you've got can find you and benefit their lives or their work. So it was all rooted in authenticity and genuineness. In fact, I would work with tech companies and these total tech dude bros, left brain, like, well, we want to be seen as empathetic. And I'm like, are you? You know, like, I don't <laughs> think you are, but okay. So obviously as a marketer, empathy has always been sort of the secret superpower of being an effective marketer. Because if you are genuinely connecting with people and you care about them and you see things from their point of view, you're going to provide the right fit offerings for them. And they're going to feel like you completely understand them and you hear the voice in their heads. So empathy has always been a part of my practice as a brand strategist and a brand storyteller. And then around 2016, my son was about two and a half at the time. And I was reading him all these great books about empathy and sharing and collaboration. And then when I looked up at the headlines in 2016, I was not thrilled with what I saw in terms mm -hmm. of role models mm -hmm. and all these people who seemingly found success, but were the antithesis to empathy. So it, it got me really mad. And so I did what I do. And I researched and said, there had to be businesses, there had to be brands, there had to be leaders who were leading with empathy and killing it. And I was delighted to find the research that was there. So I wrote, this is total fast version. I wrote The Empathy Edge, Harnessing the Value of Compassion as an Engine for Success for leaders, teams, and brands to help them, basically help them make the business case for the ROI of empathy. And honestly, you know, as a mom, this was really my sneaky attempt to make the world a better place by starting in the place where we spend the bulk of our time, which mm -hmm. is at work. So the big grand goal was to make the world better for my son. And I thought, let me start at work because we can practice there and it can spill over into our personal lives and our relationships and our communities. And so the book was released in fall of 2019. It took off and then we had a pandemic and then empathy really took off and people mm -hmm. actually understood what I was trying to do by that point because- even when I was shopping the book around, people didn't understand, was it a business book? Was it personal development? Like, what is it? And now we can't help but talk about business and organization without mentioning empathy. But my mission of really helping people embrace empathy to build a more empathetic world is still at the root of it. It's just now I really want to show people the benefits of it and how it can help you achieve radical success if you strengthen your own empathy. So that's where we are now. So now I'm speaking, I'm writing books, I'm doing leadership workshops, and I am only accepting brand strategy clients on a very limited, limited basis. <laughs> so I'm I really out there being an empathy advocate. I love, oh my gosh, this work is so important. And it's so interesting that in 2016, it was like empathy, what? And then in 2019, like people had a little bit more awareness in certain circles, I think, mm -hmm. but it was still like more like closely tied to social justice, which is in 2019, not something that was really brought into the workplace. Mm -mm. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> and now right? I yeah. it's like this buzzword and it's interesting companies that are still, and you probably see this companies that like, don't want to touch it mm -hmm. and companies that know they need to touch it, but they're like, not so sure how to do that because, oh my gosh, what do we like, what does it mean if we do touch it? And like, it's uncomfortable yeah. or like, do we all have to cry at work all the time? And then there's companies that are like, we're all in, like, this is yeah. how we 
to be good humans together. I would love to hear a little bit about like anything you want to say about that spectrum. I love that because it's the ones that are embracing it and understand the value of it that are having amazing success because of it. They're able to attract the right talent. They're able to engage their employees and keep them in a market where they, you know, we've all read the news about quiet quitting and the great resignation. Empathetic cultures and leaders have enabled these companies to keep their people, keep their precious resources of people and create almost like a second family of like, we've got you, we've got your back. And people, employees are willing to ride out the tough stuff with companies that they know are on their side and see things from their point of view. And that can manifest in a variety of ways, can manifest in just how their leaders treat them and how open they are to new ideas and how open they are to letting people take risks and fail and succeed. But also operationally, what are the policies? What are the perks? What are the benefits being offered in that organization that really help people understand, like, you see me, right? And there's been study after study after study. There's no shortage about how empathetic leaders and empathetic cultures boost innovation. They boost performance. They boost engagement. They boost revenue and customer loyalty because we're dealing with a generation of consumers now that they don't want to support brands and companies that don't treat their employees well or don't treat the planet well Mm -hmm. or don't treat their communities well. And so that's Mm -hmm. why we're in this perfect storm of where this very human skill is impacting business success. And those leaders that are sort of, you know, post-pandemic, it's not really post-pandemic, but you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. who are sort of like, okay, you had your fun being human. Now it's time to get back to work. We're Mm -hmm. seeing a lot of that in the news. We're seeing a lot of demands to get back to the office. We're seeing what I call a snap back to bossism. Mm -hmm. And really it's rooted in fear. It's Mm -hmm. rooted in, I thought this was going to be temporary. And I didn't think I was going to have to actually adapt my leadership style. I talked a good game for the last Mm -hmm. few years, but I didn't think I was actually going to have to change because the status quo was working really well for me. And they're finding that they're struggling because of that, Mm -hmm. because a lot of millennials and Gen Z, but even across all age groups, they're going, we've seen a different way to do this and we don't want to go back. Totally. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over one million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder, so if you are a heavy shedder, or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself, and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription 
description and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. It's interesting, my husband, I mentioned this in every interview that I do recently. So there's going to be like this whole long catalog of interviews that I do where I'm like, <laughs> so maybe you don't know, but my husband was like, off, and my listeners all know this. They're like, yeah, we yeah. got it. We got the yeah. memo like 800 yeah. times now. So he was laid <laughs> off in June. It was super dirty, super messy. His company is just like, I don't even think they have core values, but if they do, they certainly were not living by them. Like they're just right. na- nasty people that stood for nasty things. And that was like right. long before, this is not just me being bitter. Like that was long before his layoff. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting, especially in the way that that all went down and like some really discriminatory practices that went down in the process regarding multiple people involved was that he was able to, and kind of, we were able to dissect different things that were like present, not present, that were just really not cool company culture wise. And he'd been there so long that it was like, you kind of don't see what's there or not there yep. until there's big things happening. And then you're like, whoa, like this is real gross. So in the meantime, as he's been looking for work, it's been really interesting to see in job postings, how they word certain things, how they talk about certain things, how the company culture is referred to in the context of a job posting. And I have to give a shout out to Alaska Airlines where he went through their process of applying for a role that one of the things they said was like, you must be able to like have, you know, clear boundaries and, you know, do all like the things you should do at work, right? Like be a good Mm -hmm. leader. And like right under that was must be kind and heart centered. Oh my God. Yeah. Can I go work there too? Yeah, totally. It was like the only posting that said that so explicitly. And now we've seen a few other companies that have said things kind of around that, but to have it so clear and so out there. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, that's like how everything should be. Like when you look at a school mission, for example, like yeah, kind and generous and whatever, like right. that should be company values and right. th- that are really explicitly put out there and let well, and led with. It's interesting that you say that because a while back I interviewed on my podcast, Claude Silver, who's the chief heart officer at VaynerMedia, Gary Vaynerchuk's mm. media company. And literally that's her title is chief heart officer. When was the last time you heard that as a job title? And so you wonder, okay, we dug into that in the episode of what does that actually mean? But she was actually, she came from the advertising arm and Gary had just identified in her a really strong capacity to mentor people and Mm -hmm. to really get them to show up as leaders as themselves. And he didn't want to lose her. So it was sort of like, okay, what can we do to make this a position where this is the ethos of the company? And the interesting thing, was when that position came to be and she started doing her work, they have a really young workforce there. And many of them are all trying to be Gary Vaynerchuk Mm -hmm. and they're burning themselves out, right? Because they can't keep up with his pace. And that's her role is to go, we didn't hire you to be another Gary. We hired you to be you. You need to show up as a leader, as yourself, as a leader and what your strengths and benefits are. And emotional capacity are. And you also need to be okay with taking care of yourself so that you can continue to show up. And so they're very blatant about it and they're very clear about it. And this is why, you know, clarity is one of the things that leads to being an empathetic leader is because clarity is kind. And when you're clear with people, it actually, this was so fascinating when she said this, she said it actually got rid of a lot of the entitlement that we were dealing with. Mm. Once we were super clear with people about what our values are and what we expected their values to be at work and what their performance requirements were, there was a lot less entitlement because everyone was on the same page. And I just, like, I get chills because I'm a dork, but when I hear that, because that's the power of seeing things from the perspective of the people you lead and going, what do they need? What questions do they have? What kind of environment did they want to work in? And how can we facilitate that? That makes so much sense. And you just gave some really, I want to go into my next question here. And you just gave really great examples that prompted this. I want to talk a little bit about what empathy is, because I think there's some misnomers. And I think that, well, I'll let you dig into all that, but what is empathy? And you just gave examples of like what it looks like and how it can play out. And so what is empathy actually? And then also what are some myths around it that can hold Mm -hmm. us back? Yeah. So this is a big part of my work when I go in and I speak to organizations and teams and employee resource groups is defining empathy. There's actually a lot of different definitions of empathy. And every expert I talked to when I was researching the book had a slightly different definition. But where I landed was something that makes sense for the workplace, which is really about the ability to see, hear, and where appropriate, feel another person's perspective. And further, using that information to take a compassionate action. So it's not just about the information gathering. I like to put executives at ease and say, empathy is not you crying on the floor with your employees. Empathy is about you seeing things from their point of view and trying to understand their context. And when you do, that can actually lead you to make decisions, not necessarily make the decision they want you to make, but to make a decision in a different way or to communicate it in a different way, or simply, you know, if you have to do layoffs, you have to do layoffs, but can you do them compassionately? Absolutely. So compassion is really empathy and action. So getting, gathering that information doesn't really 
do you much good if you don't do anything with it. You aren't able to respond in a way where you can keep the conversation going. And there's so many myths around this. And that's what I think stands in the way of leaders and quite frankly, parents from Mm -hmm. being empathetic with their kids. And I know I deal with this all the time too. I'm constantly learning. But empathy is not about being nice. You can't just nice your way into an empathetic culture because people can bring cookies to work and they're really nice and really good cookies, but it doesn't mean they see my point of view. And then it also doesn't mean caving into crazy demands, which I think leads to a lot of the burnout and compassion fatigue is that empathy means I do whatever you want me to do as your leader. That's not what it means. You can absolutely make tough business decisions, but you can do it with empathy and you can explain your point of view. You can communicate the decision in a different way. And then finally, this is the one where people sort of go, yay, is empathy also doesn't mean agreeing with people. And every time I talk about this, I mention this gentleman named Edwin Rutch, who runs the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy out of Berkeley, California. He did empathy tents at the most divisive political rallies in our country over the last few years. He was actually featured in a documentary called Trumpphobia or something. And they would get two people from polar opposites of the political spectrum into a tent together to do this very intense facilitation technique called empathy circles. And it's really just an exercise in working your active listening muscle. And the goal was not conversion. The goal was connection. So the goal was not to like change your ideology to mine or my ideology to yours. It was just, huh, I still don't agree with you, but now I understand why you think the way you do. And that was the goal was just, can we hug at the end of this and see each other as human? Yes. Like that was what the most amazing part. So you can be empathetic and not necessarily agree. It's just, I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to try to understand where you're coming from, but the goal doesn't have to be persuasion or conversion. Yeah. I love that. I'm thinking about some of the work I do in role play and I'm thinking just doing an activity where you have to mirror back what someone else says to you. Like that's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah, Like if someone's sitting across from me telling me their beliefs and then I have to mirror back and, you know, as if I'm them and say, I'm so-and-so and and I believe this and this and this for these reasons for someone to see someone else, like reflecting their point of view. Yeah. So powerful. And then for like the person saying it to hold space for that, even if it's not their belief system. I mean, there's like, yeah, there's so much in there. I'm like taking notes for my next training that I'm going to do. Well, completely. And you should check out the empathy circles training. I think it's empathycircles.com because he does it for free. They train people all over the world and it's a pretty intense experience, especially you and I as very collaborative talkers. We want to comment on everything and ask further questions. And this technique does not allow for that. This technique is purely, I am listening to you mm-hmm. and reflecting back what you've said so you yep. feel heard. And yeah. without judgment, without, you know, when I do the role plays in my talks, we pick some sort of like not heavily loaded topic as mm-hmm. politics, but right. it's also about, you know, whatever you say, I need to reflect back to you. So if you tell me, okay, Sarah, what I hear you saying is that the sky is purple and frogs are falling from the sky. And if we have a red umbrella, that will actually protect us. Is that, did I get that right? Is that actually what you said? And it's hard. And like, that sounds funny, but it's really hard when it's a ethical debate, when it's a policy debate, when you're arguing at work about budget or strategy, or, you know, again, with kids, like we can be empathetic with our kids and not condone their behavior. But we can try to see the world through their eyes and understand like when my son wants to ride the dog, 
Like, <laughs> no, not a good decision. Don't agree with it. But like, I get it, buddy. I get that right. you're trying to snuggle with her right. and you think that's fun. And she's and, a really cute small horse. And she's sometimes. really, really cute. Right. And I get it. Like, maybe there's something else we can do for you guys to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I have to acknowledge, though, that he has that perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. So many like wheels turning into my head. This is so fun. I want to go back to something that you said about the connection between compassion and action. Yeah. I think that a lot of people since 2020, and I would put myself in this circle, but I'm like really working on being accountable beyond this. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people since 2020 have become really good learners. Like we, especially people who are social justice oriented. And so we mm-hmm. want to learn all the things we want to know the quote unquote, the right things, the good things. We want to be good citizens. Mm-hmm. We want to be on the right side of history, blah, 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 blah. And so this, I think there can be almost an obsession with like content consumption and learning and listening to what other people are saying, which is all really, really important. But then if that isn't followed by action, there's a massive gap in terms of like you actually being the person or standing for the thing that you want to stand for. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is where it can get really tricky in companies where again, it's like the things that are up on the wall aren't reflected in the actual things happening inside. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. this is also like in our own interpersonal relationships and in child rearing and in being community members in any sort of a way. And it's so tricky. I mean, an example that's like not work related would just be how you teach your kids compassion and empathy, but then like, what are the comments you make or what is your behavior when you walk down a street in a city like Seattle? And I know you're um, in the Bay Area, like uh-huh. you're walking down the street and how are you treating all of the humans on that street, including totally. the people that don't look like you and don't actually live in houses and might be living under a tarp that you're walking past? Yeah, it is so hard. But I think what I've learned and, you know, on my on my show, we, on my podcast, we talk about all facets of empathy. So I've actually spoken to a lot of DEI experts, social justice experts, anti-racism experts, just not even just to understand the role of empathy in those movements, but also to talk to different people so that my listeners get empathy by hearing the stories of other yeah, people. Because yeah. even just consuming the stories of others builds your empathy because mm-hmm. it humanizes someone. Right. And that is a great first step. And what I've learned from many of them is that, yes, action is important. But what does action mean? And this mm-hmm. is important too in terms of the, the business realm. Action doesn't necessarily mean you have to do something per se. My action could be to hold space for you to vent. Mm, My action could be that I'm increasing my learning. So when I have interactions with other people, I can pass that learning along. We're not all made to be activists. And uh, I came to that realization from a friend of mine, Elisa Camahort-Page, who co-wrote a wonderful book called Roadmap for Revolutionaries. And it was all about how to get involved and make change at the local level, at the country level, at the global level. And one of the things she always says is not everybody can be on the front lines, but what are the small things that you're doing to educate yourself, to hold space, to listen, to share information with other people in your life that may not have known that information before? I mean, yes, you can give money, you can give time, you can write your Congress people, you can do all those things and take action in that way. But there's a lot of nuance to this idea of taking action. And we can't always take the like the boldest, most in your face. It doesn't mean we all have to go join the Peace Corps, right? <laughs> to take right. action to make the world a better place. So how are we leveraging that information that we're gathering through empathy to do something, anything in a different way? 
Right. Yeah. I think that is really important. I had this conversation early on in, I'm trying to think of the year, it would have been 2016. (laughs) So 2016, when I went to the women's march in DC, which was actually Mm -hmm. January of 2017, massive, massive, massive march. And it was Mm -hmm. a huge life moment. And I remember coming home and posting pictures on social media and a bunch of people were really supportive. And of course, like echo chamber in my social media, like people who are, you know, very similar ideologies to me are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But then there were people that either would say in the comments or in various really subtle ways after that. And for months after that, like, Uh I don't need to mark for buying values to be known, blah, 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 blah. And so some of it was like, really, like, I felt like it was calling me to task, but like, Mm -hmm. that's the only way to do it. And then some of it, I, I, people were very legitimately saying like, I'm totally on board, but marching is not, that's not how I'm showing it. Like I'm doing these other things. Right. So some of people had like this really great way of entering the conversation. And then other people, I was like, they were making fun of me, laughing at me, whatever, like (laughs) my picket signs, which also like totally, I was like, okay, so what else, how else can I march? Like, I mean, that was the beginning of many marches for me. Yeah. But but what I really appreciated was the people who could say, I'm not a person who's going to go make signs and take my kid to the The march and like Mm -hmm. do that. But what I'm doing instead is this, this, and this, and this is like where I can use my gifts and skills and strengths to impact other people's lives, to create change, to be involved, like all these different things. And all of that counts, all of that matters. So I appreciate your definition around action and kind of the spectrum of what that can look like. Right. And it's, you know, like it can be whatever's in your toolbox to be able to share with the world, right? Like for you and I, we provide a platform for people we believe in to raise issues and raise awareness about things with our podcasts, mm-hmm. for example. Other people have blogs. Other people have a network of people on social media and they can post things. Not that that's always the most effective thing to do, but it's a start. Like awareness is always a start and yeah. educating yourself is a start. And just, right. you know, we heard this over and over with many of the social justice issues that cropped up in the last few years, whether it was George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or, you know, anything. And even, you know, most recently with the Middle East, you do, there is a time for you to pause and listen before you decide guns blazing, you're going to go do something or say something. So there is value in that pause. There is value in that reflection. There is value in that before I have a stance on this, I'm going to educate myself and I'm going to talk to the people that are impacted and that's an action that yeah. you're taking, right? So I feel like it, all the little things add up. Absolutely. I want to talk about the overlap. And I love, I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about this, but I love the, I think, evolving idea that personal and professional overlap and they're inextricable and mm-hmm. like stop trying to have this like perfect quote unquote work like work life balance because it's not yeah. actually a thing. No. We're not we don't compartmentalize. Like that's just a big huge joke. Right. So right. I always joke about balance as like, so that means you give like eleven point one percent to everything in your life, like your child, your health, your right. job, your mm, that would be right. balance, right? Right. <laughs> but I look right. at it more like an audio mixing board. And there's levers that you have to raise up and down depending on what's going on in your life, right? If the dog has an emergency and swallows a Lego, like that's the most important thing I have to (laughs) do that day. You're all in on that lever. I'm all in on that, right? Or if there's a a deadline at work and something's due Monday with a client, I might have to give up my Sunday with my family and do the work. So I think we, like you said, it's been such a false narrative around this whole balance thing, which it's. I think I've heard you even talk about it in these terms. It's more in an integration. Totally. Yeah. 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 And so when we look at 
how our work and our, how our personal and professional lives integrate with each other, whether mm-hmm. we have our own businesses, whether we're going to a office, whether we're running a household, like whatever that looks like. I'm curious to know how the practice of empathy in one area then impacts the other area. And if we start looking at this, if we start having awareness around this, what I find is that mm-hmm. I can make connections pretty quickly around like, oh, like that thing I did with my client where I was like, gave them a lot of grace because I knew they were really nervous about something. I mean, could we maybe do that with the math homework tonight with my kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, you practice it, right? I mean, empathy is a muscle and it's a muscle <clears throat> that we humans, according to all scientific data, we are born with it, barring certain outlying sociological conditions, things like that. We are born with it and the ability to access it. It's just for some of us, the muscle has atrophied, whether it was through our upbringing, whether it's through like a horribly toxic job we had where it was sort of just like beaten out of us, whatever it is. And so there's always the ability to strengthen that muscle. And it doesn't really matter where you practice it, right? It's about accessing that muscle. And if you're doing it in a work context, great. If you're doing it in a personal context, great, but it's going to spill over. And, you know, I always liken it to, I talk about it in terms of the empathy gym and you would never go start a new workout routine or exercise regimen and go to the gym once and expect that you were going to walk out with six pack abs. Right. And so empathy building is like that. You're going to have to get, you're going to have to build that muscle. It's going to feel awkward and might feel sore at first and uncomfortable and weird, but that doesn't mean you stop. And it also doesn't mean that once you have sort of, I don't even know if you can, master empathy, you stop going to the gym. It's still a practice. It's still something that you've got to constantly be intentional about. And this is the thing where I try and I fail and I get up again and I try and I fail and I get up again. And you know, I have arguments with my husband where he's like, didn't you write a book about empathy? And I'm like, get out of the house right now. (laughs) Don't even throw that at me. But it's because I, you know, even someone who's researched it and out talking about it, like maybe I do this now because I needed it and I needed yeah. to build that muscle a little bit more. So just finding those opportunities, whether it's at work or in a professional environment or in like an organization that you volunteer with, mm-hmm. where can you find those moments? Because as you flex that muscle, you're going to start to find opportunities in other areas of your life that you can also use that muscle and use that superpower. Absolutely. Yeah. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for 
understood explains and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. On an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. I also want to touch on the reverse of the example that I gave because Mm -hmm. I think this might sound disrespectful because I'm going to say it's going to sound inappropriate maybe, but it's really true. And all people listening are going to be like, like, oh yeah, it is true. So the stuff that we do with little kids, Mm -hmm. the tools that we use with kindergartners are also the tools that we often need to use in the workplace and often in managing up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because I've also equated child rearing with like training my dog. So let's talk (laughs) about being a little insulting. (laughs) Like they need consistency. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I mean, I have this conversation all the time with clients who have bosses who have no empathy or really struggle to have empathy and don't have any desire to have empathy because if you don't have empathy, like if you haven't been using that muscle, you just sort of kind of roll your eyes when someone's like, maybe you need some of that. So when I talk with clients about this, we have literal conversations. And especially if I'm talking to a mom, I'm like, okay. So when you're like really trying to take care of your kindergartner who has no emotional regulation, what do you do to take care of that kindergartner? And then we talk through examples and I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. so do you see how the things that you're saying might also be really effective in talking to your like 52 year old male boss, because your 52 year old male boss might have the same emotional intelligence as your Mm -hmm. (laughs) five-year-old. And so it's, it's really goes both ways, like having to navigate both you know, mm-hmm. the integration is just, I think, so significant. And yeah. I think sometimes when we can, this is not to let ignorant people off the hook at no. all. No, but I think sometimes when you need to get what you need out of a situation, yeah, you need to be the adult in the room, right? Like sometimes going yeah. into it with that empathy of like, I need to treat this person like they're a kindergartner and like give them a little grace. <laughs> well, so this is so funny because when I first started on event tours with the book in 2019. And then before everything shut down in 2020, I was talking to a lot of younger audiences. And that was always the question of like, well, what do I do if I'm trying to be empathetic, but the other person is not given any back to me? So a couple things on that. Number one, it's not your job to make someone that you're interacting with empathetic. It's your job to show up with empathy and change the course of the connection, change the course of the relationship, Mm -hmm. because you 
know better. And that sounds insulting too. But again, it's like, you need to be the adult in the room sometimes, even if that person is 30 years older than you. And so all you can do is model it. And this is the same advice we get in conscious parenting, right? And the thing I struggle with the most, my son said today, you're not a very good role model sometimes, mom. And I was like, (laughs) you know what? You're right. Because if I tell you not to yell and I yell at you telling you're, you not to you're yell. You're saying it while you're yelling. I'm saying it. Well, yeah. Don't yell. Um, but he's right because my role, whether you realize it or not, whether your child realizes it or not, or your boss realizes it or not, you're setting the tone for the relationship and how you show up and how you respond. So if you can act with empathy, even if they don't have this big epiphany in the middle of the conversation going, Sarah, you know, I I really feel like you're seeing my point of view and I'm now forever changed. That's Mm -hmm. not going to happen, but it is going to impact that person in the long run because they're going to see that there's a different way to interact and there's a different way to be expected to act. And you don't know, they may go away and and beat themselves up over the way that they treated you in that interaction because you Mm -hmm. held your ground and you were like, I see your point of view. I still don't agree with you. And you you maintained calm. You maintained presence. You maintained curiosity. Curiosity is the number one trait of empathic people. Mm. Enough to try to understand that person's point of view, even if they were giving you their point of view in a rant. When they go away, they're going to go, oh, that's actually another way I could have showed up in that conversation. Yeah. And now I know when I interact with Sarah in the future, maybe I need to try to show up a little bit more like that than I just did. And that's what you hope for is that over time, it's you are the model for how people should treat you, but also how they can treat other people. Absolutely. I love that you just made the important point about curiosity being the number one trait of empathetic people, because I so often, here's me calling myself out, will have an interaction with someone where it's very important for me to, and this is not with my clients, like other situations in the world, um, where it's very important for me to be right and be seen as right and be acknowledged as right. Mm -hmm. And I so often, this just happened in a traffic situation. I got out of my car because I was so mad at the way someone Uh was behaving in their car Uh um, at school pickup, not with another parent, but as someone in the neighborhood. And I got out of my car and I was like, what do you even think you're doing? Like, and I got back in my car and the next morning I was going for a run and I was like, you know, I should have just been curious. This woman was screaming at me, like screaming bloody murder at me. Like it was, she was very hysterical. I really should have like legitimately been concerned about her driving. But later I was like, instead of reacting, I should have just been curious. Like an empathetic person is curious. Yeah. And that interaction would have been so different if I was just curious instead of needing to be like, I have the right of way and what are you doing? Right, right. Well, I mean, that can go both but, ways too, because also you could try to go like, hey, what's 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 going on for you today? Like, why, why did you act that way? And they could still be angry at you. Totally, and they will still totally. be, you know, but I think she I probably think- would have been. But I just think I we often in those moments, whether it's being yes. reactive or oh, uh, just time. wanting to be right. And then after like thinking, oh, if I'd only asked that one question, like that dynamic could have been totally different, totally different outcome. Totally. Like we, uh, there's, yeah, it can change everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, this point right here is the one that shows up for me in my parenting the most Mm. is that I don't, I need it automatically with like, what did you do wrong? Like, you know, why are you at, not even out of curiosity, but out of admonishment, like, Mm -hmm. no, clearly this had to be this way instead of going, huh. And I've done that several times successfully when my son's gotten in trouble at school and he was mortified that he was going to get grounded and he was going to get all these things and he's crying. And I'm like, 
hey, bud, just tell me what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of what I wanted to do, which was, I can't believe you said that word at a Catholic school. <laughs> like, oh my God, what is going on? I was like, why don't you tell me what happened? Like, yeah. did you say that word? How did that make you feel? Now, those moments are few and far between. For me, mm-hmm. I want to be <laughs> very clear when I'm actually like present enough to like right. hold my stuff together. But man, does it change the tenor of the conversation? Yeah. And I don't always have to be right, especially in those moments, or even like the moment you're talking about, if I can get someone else to realize that their action or their reaction, like it's more powerful if if based on my response to them, they actually figure out that their action or their reaction was not necessarily appropriate. That's more valuable than me going, what you did was inappropriate Mm -hmm. with my finger wagging at them, right? Right. So I feel like that is, again, that's where it is really that superpower. And it's those people, like, you know, those people, they always know what to say in the moment. I've never been that person. Like where I could be mysterious and be like, why are you asking me that? Right. I'm not that person. I just fly off the handle. Yeah. (laughs) I have one of Vinny's best friends, his mom is like the most gifted and eloquent question asker. And she just, she's not reactive. So things will happen and there's a chaos and big energy and feelings. And she can just sit there and be like, you know, tell me what happened. And, oh, it sounds like you were feeling really blah, blah, blah. How are you feeling now? Like she can just go through this really calm sequence of, oh my gosh, and reflecting back to him, what he's demonstrating. And like, and I just, I'm always, and whenever I see it happening, I'm like taking notes and then I'm like, okay, how can I, so I give her credit all the time. I'm like, I'm always watching you to learn how I can be a parent who asks better questions instead of going right into like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I have a lot to say about this. Yeah. This is why I'm right. And you're wrong. Right. And that's, (laughs) that can carry over into work conversations too. Right. Like before you're, you know, I'm going to ask you a question, but I'm really just waiting for my chance to tell you what I actually think. Right. But I'm laughing at that because my son is now nine and I've been through, we had like a parent coach for a few years. I've been like absorbing all the positive parenting and conscious parenting and like all the things he's on to me now. Mm. So it's got to the point where I I had such bad behavior and rocky behavior in the beginning that now when I try to do that, he'll be like, don't mom, don't, did you, did you listen to another podcast? <laughs> Are we going to talk about feelings now? He's like on to me. And so I can't even like, it's because he knows I wasn't like that before. So and funny. so I'm like, Damn it, I'm trying. Mom, are you trying to pull the empathy card again? He does. Like, (laughs) he's just like, oh, here we go. We're going to talk about feelings again. Uh, Cause I'll be like, how did that, you know, how did that make you feel? And he'll be like, mom, no, just stop. (laughs) We have, I love the one he said, did you listen to another podcast again? I'm like, I hate you and I love you and I hate you. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so funny. <laughs> we have all these books on feelings that I got from like the day Vinny was born. Like, oh, of course. Yeah. And he never was interested in any of them. And I yeah. remember constantly trying to like get them like, we'll read this one, but then we'll like, we'll read the thing of, you you know, Fireman Sam or whatever. Yeah. Some police story. And then yeah. we'll read. And it got to a point where he was just like, no, like it's Harry Potter or nothing. Like that's yeah. when I was like, there's no turning back. Like once we got into Harry Potter, I was totally, like, we're never touching another feeling. We're never again. reading be kind again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, now we're into chapter books. There's like no place to insert a feeling book in there. <laughs> right. But even, but even when you, you know, you, you listen to all those coaches that talk about, well, use those as opportunities to ask them, like, what do they think the character's feeling? And whenever I do that, he's like, mom, just, just read oh, the story. Same. Yes. 
I'm like, what do you think? Like it messes Hermione the cadence. was thinking like, right there. Right. And he's no, like, just like, do, stop. Do not interrupt the cadence of a story that's something's about to get good. Oh my gosh. Totally. So funny. So, funny. so they're on to us. And I'm like, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like at least, at least we've normalized that we talk about these things all the time. And I, right. you know, he knows I wrote a book about empathy. He knows right. I talk about empathy all the time. And so maybe it's funny that they, <laughs> they're on to us now. I don't yes. know. Okay. We're getting tight on time. Of course, I have a million more questions to ask you, but we'll do that when you come back to talk about the next book. So yes, tell yes. us a little bit about, give us a little like teaser. What's next? Um, I'll give you a little teaser. Um, so the next book is a result of the work that I've done around this book. So this first book, The Empathy Edge is really the business case for empathy for skeptics, but it also benefits all of us who actually care about empathy. The next book is for the converts. It's called The Empathy Dilemma, How Successful Leaders Balance Performance, People, and Personal Boundaries, which is the Mm. big thing that leads to fatigue and burnout. And so it's based on five pillars that I've seen as common threads across all the different people I've interviewed and researched who are effective empathetic leaders, who don't burn themselves out, who don't lower their standards, all the tropes you hear about why people don't want to be empathetic. There's sort of five pillars that support you. If you shore up these foundations, you can actually be a really highly effective empathetic leader. So I'll give folks a sneak peek. It's self-awareness, self-care, clarity, decisiveness, and joy. Mm, So, um, And that's, like I said, through all the hundreds of interviews and all the research, it's like, these are the traits that keep popping up for people that seem like they're effortlessly being empathetic leaders. And you're sort of like, what's your secret sauce? How are you doing that? This is where I've found the commonalities. And so I want to offer this to people in terms of what are the practices around those five pillars that they can engage in so that they can be empathetic, they can show up, they can demand high performance, and they don't burn out. I love it. Yeah. So good. Okay. I can't wait to dig into that conversation. Awesome. Can you tell people in one sentence how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Although you've given us a number of examples (laughs) I mean, basically I'm not giving up on my passions or my goals mm. and I'm showing, I'm hoping that I'm showing my son that you can do both. It's both and not either yeah. or, and um, really leaning into being over 50 now and just saying what I think and understanding. I finally realized this at 50, Sarah, that just because someone disagrees with me, it doesn't mean I'm wrong. Mm, and that took me yes. a long time in my career of like, oh, I must be missing something. I must be too junior. I must not have enough experience. No, like just because someone disagrees with me, it doesn't mean my perspective is wrong. And so that's That's really important showing up. Yeah. Okay. So where can people find you, get the empathy edge, stalk you on social, all that stuff, (laughs) all the things. So my main hub is red slice, red hyphen slice.com. People can find all the things there. There's books, there's my offerings. There's some courses I have available under the learn section. They can also find my podcast, the empathy edge there, but I'm most active on LinkedIn and Instagram. And on LinkedIn, I'm Maria J Ross. And on Instagram, I'm red slice Maria. And I'm always posting all the things on Instagram, especially. Um, so I hope folks will sign up for my newsletter and be able to be the first to know when the new book comes out as well as some little treats and goodies that are coming with the launch. Yay. So we will link everything up in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Maria Ross, the recent one, not from like episode 24. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so the episode in the 800s and you can pop click right through on all those links. Maria, this has been so fun. I'm already like so counting fun. down the days till we get to do it again for your awesome. September launch. And thank you so much for being here and for this work. I love that we get to talk about this and have feelings, but also laugh a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I've always said you are my future. I see you with Vinny and he's a year older than my son. And you're always this delightful, but terrifying preview of what's to come. So thank you. (laughs) Just keeping it real over here. Keeping it real. (laughs) Keeping it real. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.